0: Sonic States. what's called
1: hello and welcome everybody to Sonic talk number 93 um, this one's going live on Thursday the is it the first of August tomorrow or the 31st of July it's
0: the 31st of July
1: 31st of July tomorrow um, I've got we've got a small intimate group of uh, good friends first of all we've got you heard mark there that's mr mark tinley
0: hello how are you doing
1: i'm very well thanks excellent had a good week
0: i have and i might uh tell everybody what my new motorcycle is now Ah, we didn't get we didn't get a chance to hear it
1: yeah come on tell us tell us
0: (laughs) i've bought a royal enfield bullet 500 Ah. with a gp manx sidecar
1: oh wow i can just see you in that have you got a um, one of those um um pisspot helmets
0: no, but I'm going to go and buy one tomorrow. Are you? I've 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 ordered a Smiths Chronometric Speedometer, which I'm going to put on there. So it's got like a more old school style speedo on it. And the guy actually said that he sells the old style vintage helmets as well. So I'm going to go and see him tomorrow and get that. I need some goggles as well, don't I? Yeah, flying goggles. That's right. Yeah. I suppose the irony about the bike is that it's actually the newest bike that I've got because it was uh it was built in India in 2000, I think.
1: Uh, okay. But it
0: looks like the oldest. When I park it on the doorstep, all these old boys come past and kind of come up to it and poke at it lovingly and sort of walk off with big grins on their faces. But Aww. they've been making the same bike since about 1958, I think. Oh, that's the fantastic. And hasn't changed.
1: Well, it's just a classic, isn't
0: it? It's a modern classic, indeed.
1: Me and Chris nearly bought bikes the other day. What, motorbikes? Yeah. What stopped
2: you? Uh, have you seen the price of fizzies? <laughs> <laughs> you were going to buy a Yamaha FS1e? Well, actually, I've still got mine.
1: Oh, yeah, of course, in the, in the shed. In the big shed. But, yeah,
2: no, we thought um, we'd buy slightly older ones.
0: Right.
1: Oh, fantastic.
2: But, but when we looked at it, I think the eBay price was like 600 quid, and then uh, it ended up going for two and a half
0: grand. Small
1: yeah, yeah. motorcycles and mopeds are really expensive. I think it's because of the congestion charge. Well, that-
0: there's also anything registered before the 1st of August 1977 is a sports moped. So they're not restricted, so legally you can go 50 miles an hour on a car licence and nobody's going to tell you off.
1: Ah, uh, okay. Well, you also heard, obviously, there, that Dave Spears... Before I finish, Mark, I always forget to do this. Mark Tinley can be found at myspace.com forward slash Mark Tinley. And also, we have Mr. David Spears from G Four Software. Hello. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Good. You had another game of tennis. How's the weekly tennis um, thing coming on? Is it going all right? Yeah, it was good. First time the racket didn't feel like a sort of completely alien being. Well, you know, you must try one of these um, newfangled graphite type rackets. The wooden ones are a bit clunky these days and heavy, I find.
2: Actually, I did. I bought a Wilson and it's a a Roger Federer racket, but it made absolutely
1: no difference to my playing whatsoever. Well, he's on the way down, you see. You should have got a Nadal racket. They would have been okay. (laughs) Well done. Well, okay. And we are now joined by Mr. PJ Tracy from uh, Minneapolis. How are you doing, PJ? Good morning, gentlemen. Oh, I can, he- I can hear the quality of your new studio just around you. The ambience is just incredible. Uh, can you hear it?
3: <laughs> yeah, it's been a harried week. Um, just finishing up the second room in my studio, and then this weekend I came down with a nasty bout of food poisoning. Oh, man. Yeah, so just, just getting back up to speed, actually, this morning, feeling kind of right with the world. and. I'm glad to be here. Is that all that um, that greasy kind of
1: working late, kind of just got to rush out and grab something kind of eating you've been doing while it, you're working late on the studio?
3: You know what I think did it? It was actually, um, I went to, uh, I don't know if you have these in Britain, but a Dairy Queen? No, I don't think we do. No. It's an ice cream stand that I rare that I rarely go to. Um, and I don't want to besmirch their, their fairly good name, I guess, here in the U.S., trans fats aside, but um, I ordered a... A malted milk from them, and it was soft when I got it, and I should have known that something was up, meaning that they hadn't, uh, hadn't regulated v- the temperature in the machine that they uh, that they poured it out of, and uh, I think that was the culprit.
1: Ah, uh, oh, well, that's just the way it goes—a bad cone, a bad cone. A bad the- cone. <laughs> <laughs> I always remember the uh, "Don't you eat that yellow snow," Frank Zappa song. That's a great. That's a great song. It and, is and a good ad- admonition. Where the huskies go, don't you eat that yellow snow. <laughs> One of, one of Zappa's kind of more publishable ones, even though it's quite rude. <laughs> yeah. Well, PJ, uh, I'm glad to hear you. So you've been working on um, getting the studio up together. You're nearly there. And um, is it is it in a new place, or are you kind of refurbishing the, the old place?
3: No, completely redoing the old place. Um, the old place was kind of tattered and ratty around the edges, so we... Uh, We tore up the floors and um, what I have here are are three rooms and um, one is a very large room that is mostly occupied by my friend Jim Grafsgard, who is a visual artist. And then uh, I have um, two slightly smaller rooms that um, were basically office build outs and I wanted to properly treat them and and, uh, tear up the floors and replace them with wood. Um, originally they were just, uh, foamed over and carpeted concrete. Uh, and that was a, that was a huge undertaking. I'm, I'm, uh, no contractor. So I brought in a couple friends that are, and they graciously helped me tear everything up, including the ceilings. And we put in new ceilings, new floors, redid the walls. Wow. Yeah. And now I've got a friend who, um, has worked on several Hollywood productions. Who's an amazing faux finisher and he's going to come in and help us paint.
1: Oh so you're you've got that new studio smell.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, and we redid the lighting and the electric and everything so Oh, fantastic. So when are you going to yeah. start working in it again, do you think? Uh, I'm actually working in it right now. Um kind of dubiously. I mean, I don't uh I don't trust everything that's coming out of it, so I'm, you know, I'm ch- I'm checking it on everything, but I'm, you know, I'm I'm making my way. I'm also migrating to a new system because I I um built a quad core PC.
1: Oh right, okay. Oh god, you're yeah. doing the whole thing in one go. Yep, doing it all in one go. Jeez. <laughs>
3: yeah, right. and then trying to get my old system to work together with the new one over effects teleport and, and all of that. So it's uh yeah, it's been a real uh, a real project for the last you know month and a half. Yeah. I don't envy you the work, but
1: I do envy you having a nice space purpose built to work in. That's great. <laughs> Thomas Dolby's wind power there um, is 26 or was 26 on the 27th, rather strangely, which I guess would have been on Sunday or Monday, wouldn't it? That was a performance on Top of the Pops um, from 1982, which is the week that it was released. I found that on Matrix Synth, um, which uh, I'd just like to say hi to Matrix Synth because we met him in Cambridge. Um, Nice chat. And this, this was kind of something that came up on Thomas Dolby's blog.
0: Oh, I wonder if his daughter's got chicken pox.
1: I beg your pardon. That's a bit. <laughs> That's a bit of a left-field statement. Why do you happen to? Oh, um... uh, you
0: know, East was a little bit restless and floppy. Oh, uh, he got chickenpox. He got chickenpox last Thursday. Yeah, broke out in spots, and apparently it takes uh, a couple Ten of days. weeks to incubate, and they're sort of contagious for a bit before i wonder if his daughter's got chickenpox maybe she's already had it anyway sorry yeah no maybe
1: sideways i was just trying to think oh what you know thomas dolby's daughter and then i suddenly realized you're talking about major anyway thomas dolby there um wind power I, i i tell you what i heard that first on monday and I haven't been able to get the bloody thing out of my head all week. It's so catchy, and I'd sort of forgotten just, just how catchy it was. But then when I listened to it through really kind of carefully, I realised there's actually no song there whatsoever. It's just a couple of sort of random phrases stuck together with some brilliant production. And, um, I, I mean, I say brilliant, but brilliant, I, I think it's brilliant anyway. And I just thought, Thomas Dolby, what a genius. And also, that was taken from his Top of the Pops performance, which was the week that um, his, uh, the single came out, and I thought it was really good. I mean, it's just one bloke with with a with a lot of dry ice, admittedly. But he'd obviously spent a lot of time kind of putting together a performance that was actually quite compelling. I don't know if anyone else thought that way. I mean, considering it's a guy playing just a few keyboards with a head mic on, it was actually quite quite good. Anyone else uh, enjoy that as much as me? Or am I on my own? Am I sensing the tumbleweed?
2: No, <laughs> uh, he was great. Toby's oh, brilliant. I think he is brilliant.
1: That was off, um, what was that off? That was off the Golden Age of Wireless, wasn't it? Which I haven't got. I've only got I got Flat Earth and Aliens Ate My Buick, the only two albums I've got of his, which are both brilliant. I'm, yeah, Flat Earth, superb. It is. I mean, he's a kind of... He is a quintessential kind of um, kooky English electronic music artist, I would say. Would, would that be a fair as- assessment of him?
2: Uh, yeah, but, he was quite a big session player for a while, wasn't he? He
1: was. I'm just looking at the list here. I mean, because he did that stuff with Jen, Joni Mitchell, didn't he? There was a lot of work he did. I've got a list. Also collaborated with... Joan Trading, Prefab Sprout, Def Leppard, George Clinton, Joni Mitchell, Offer Hazar, Foreigner, Bruce Wally, Roger Waters, David Bowie, Jerry Garcia, Bob Weir, Eddie Van Halen, Eddie Reader, Beau Soleil, Wayne Toops, Robin Williams, Ryuchi Sakamoto, Ken Russell, Houdini, Lena Lovitch, The Members, The Fall, UK Subs, The Passions, Fallout Club, and XTC. Wow. <laughs> that's quite a lot, isn't it? And they're probably that's probably not everything as well, because he did a lot. Didn't he get, get brought in as a sort of techno whiz kid on a lot of albums so he'd do keyboards and kind of um, fairlighty stuff and whizzy bits
0: see I, I have to say i don't like him at all
1: oh i'm su- well I mean, the enough. only
0: song the only song that i did like of his was that song hyperactive yes i like the movement in the bass line and i think it's very clever because it sounds almost like it could be played but obviously it's not
1: oh i'd forgotten about that i should have grabbed a, an mp3 of that i think hyperactive was great that was another big hit for him actually wasn't it that was probably his biggest I would have thought. Well,
0: that Wind Power song is just cheesy as far as I'm concerned. It really? Just, like, there's, no, there's nothing there. It's no, like, I agree. Dah, there's dah, nothing dah, there. Dah, 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 dah. It's the same thing that he always seems to do. He, I think musicians have a riff in the back of their head, don't they? You think, yeah, that's it. And then they sort of work around it. And well, it maybe and you're right. I mean, man. I
1: obviously like his riff because I think his stuff is uh, is is really good. I mean, the production He's just very imaginative use of technology, I think that was that only reached number thirty one in the charts. I did a little piece on it today actually and uh, who else came out at that week there was um trio da da da, da was that <laughs> week um oh i can't remember what else uh, I think Shaking Stevens I forget which one it was, but also yazoo Donna summer um Ryuchi Sakamoto and David Sylvian with the Bamboo Houses or Bamboo Music, which I think is a brilliant electronic single, which also, which did nothing. It's stiffed, but a lot of competition that week. So obviously a fair, 1982 July, the last week in July is a, is a pretty good week for kind of classic 80s music. Yeah. So Dave, you were telling me that you worked with him. I did. Yeah. He, um, in fact,
2: it was bizarre. I worked for him, I'll say, um, Blimey, sort of mid-90s, he had this uh, web thing called Beatnik. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Which was a kind of player, and I think the tag was, uh, the web is a silent movie movie. I don't know, make it, make some noise or something. So he commissioned uh, me and a load of other musicians to come up with kind of bits of music, I think. And they had some kind of deal, I think, with Avid. I think this is where they were going, whereby, you know, um, people who are composing videos, putting videos together, could put some kind of, you know, incidental music and stuff on there. And then, you know, at, at very low bandwidth and then sort of purchase it and allow it to download overnight. They got a humongous amount of money in terms of VC, um, and then bizarrely enough, I never really spoke to him since then, uh, until last year when a mate of mine uh, called me and said, Thomas's tech had to go, has, has to go home, uh, on the night before their kind of final gig. Would you, um, be interested in stepping in? And I was really, really tempted. In fact, the, the bus was to pick me up at um, King's Cross and drive us off to Dublin. Uh, but I, and I was actually at a gig at the Scala that night, uh, but uh, I didn't do it in the end. Ah, oh, never mind. I regret. Yeah, it would have been fun to sort of turn up and go, boo. Because he'd have probably gone, bloody hell, what are you doing here? If he'd have recognised me at all, of course.
1: Did I read it? Am I remembering right? Was there something to do with ringtones in Thomas Dolby?
2: Yeah, it was an awful lot. I mean, he had, you know, that the whole beatnik thing was kind of massive. I had, I had a fascinating conversation with him, unfortunately most of which will have to remain secret because I just don't know what happened to the company. I did a lot of work, got a reasonable amount of money for it, um, and, and he was really pleasant throughout the whole process. And I was a kind of huge fan anyway because I, th- I think, He's a superb lyricist. In fact, for the first 10 NAMs I did, we used to take, I used to drive up into the Hollywood Hills and uh, play Screen Kiss from Flat
3: Earth.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah. overlooking yeah. uh, Overlooking the lights at night. And that was a kind of ritual of mine. I must re dig that stuff out and see if it still stands up. But when Wind Power and stuff came out, it was amazing because around here, there's a lot of kind of old school musos, you know, Gilmore and there was George Harrison and all that lot. And a uh, load of the Deep Purple guys. So going down the pub was quite interesting, you know, because all these guys would be there. And actually, most of us got into the music industry kind of through kind of various connections with these guys. And uh, when he did the gig at the Marquee, I think this is probably about 83, might be 82. Um, it was literally ram-packed full of musos. Everybody had gone to kind of check this new kid out. It was amazing. In fact, I saw very little of the gig because I was talking to most people the whole gig. <laughs> <laughs> it was a kind of network function.
1: I know the, just the sort of thing. Mm. PJ, is this uh, does Thomas Dolby mean anything to you, or is it a bit before your time, or do you-
3: I can? And uh, my first memory of Thomas Dolby and what got me interested in him when I was uh, younger was that his big hit in the US was uh, blinding me with science. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, I love that song. I mean, I still, whenever I think about it, it still puts a smile on my face. And I think that's the thing about Thomas Dolby's music is something about it just always puts a, it puts a smile on my face. And I love music like that. And he's, uh, it seems to me like his production quality, his, his, his aesthetic seems to be responsible for a lot of what's um, come back in the, in, in the new electro movements that have happened in the last five, six years.
1: Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of. I mean, listening to that track, there's quite a lot of isms in there. You know, there's some Newmanisms mm-hmm. with those sort of descending lines. I mean, he's he's obviously a really. He, he seems to be able to take lots and lots of bits and put them together into kind of coherent track, which I mean sounds kind of nothing special now. But back then, I think it was actually quite a big deal, wasn't it? Because the technology was only just emerging for that kind of thing to happen. So I mean he would've been using he would have been using kind of twenty four track machines and what have you, and have had to construct these things quite um laboriously, presumably with all this stuff.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I, rem- I remember thinking back in you know 1982, 1983, and I was relatively young. How how does somebody do this? You know, they must need a room full of gear, and quite obviously he did. Yeah. And it wasn't until the you know it wasn't until the late 80s, but he was he was taking all of that on stage, which is amazing. And it wasn't until the late 80s that you know I personally could get my hands on anything that I've been not to say that it came any anywhere near what he was doing, but where you could where you could approximate that kind of level of orchestration with with gear in a bedroom and that's that's uh, it was amazing to witness it, i wonder where inspiring. he got
1: i wonder where he got started because i mean he was a fat bit of a fair light king and I, you know nobody could afford them yeah and he
3: looks really young in that, in that video oh yeah so. i think he
1: was i mean he was he must have been a young whiz kid i mean i i'm i'm yeah. assuming i'm, I'm maybe i am and guessing totally that he maybe comes from a sort of relatively well-off family that kind of he got into this because he does have that air of public schoolness about him and also you know the sort of familiarity with expensive things at a young age <laughs> that's not too mm-hmm. deriv- derogatory a thing to say
0: i was gonna say i've looked him up oh yeah i beatnik found Beatnik.com, of which he is a director.
1: I'm still going.
0: And it would seem that they've uh, gone into a scalable polyphony MIDI specification, which was co-authored with the Nokia Corporation. So uh, I would guess that he's and uh, under the umbrella of the MIDI Manufacturers Association. So right. he's, he seems to have his finger in mobile devices now. So I guess he's probably still doing quite well if he's got if he's teamed up with Nokia. So maybe every time we play a MIDI file in our phones,
1: he gets it's a little audio tiny piece. Sitting behind it. Yeah, I think that does ring a bell actually. But uh, yeah, interesting guy. I, funnily enough, and um, Blinding Me with Science featured the late great Magnus Pike, who was a sort of eccentric UK scientist who somehow found his way on. On, what did he do did he have a sort of series about stuff on telly and he was very wild and And he was in the video and, and now when you look at um you look at dolby now there's there's a sort of there's a sort of passing similarity to him these days all he needs is a little yeah. mustache and he would be quite and maybe a tweed jacket but he taught ta- he tours a lot doesn't he i mean he's doing one-man shows and you know i mean that's his kind of thing he he was kind of one of the earliest 80s revival artists wasn't he but in his own thing just doing his own thing is that right he does a sort of
2: evening of conversation, I think, some of this, you know, interspersed with some of the tracks. He talks about the old days and whatnot. By all accounts, it's pretty interesting. I'd love to see that. That sounds brilliant.
1: I think there was a DVD available somewhere on the um, thomasdolby.com site where the blog is. I'll have to check that out. That does sound pretty good. Do you remember that Joan Armour trading walk under ladders? Yeah. That was him. Really? Mm. Well, that was huge, wasn't it? He must have made it a fortune in production royalties then. I mean, that must I- be where he kind of got set up I
2: would have thought and I mean I loved his stuff with Prefab Sprout I thought his production was brilliant with him I was a big fan of theirs
1: yeah I mean they were is that what Prefab Sprout what was that um, was that Hot Dog Jumping Frog
2: Albuquerque was that them He did, yeah he did the first uh, well the second album Steve McQueen and then he did the next one Langley Park to Memphis but yeah, interesting. I had sort of, there was loads of stories floating around about him. Things like, you know, he bought himself a Steinway concert grand and managed to knock walls down to get it into his house and then realised that actually the only way he would be able to sleep is if he put the mattress on top of the piano. I don't know whether any of these are true, but they were
1: good oh, stories. Good. Yeah, excellent.
3: <laughs> that is a great story. <laughs> I've got a quick question that maybe Dave could confirm. Um I remember back in the 90s reading about um, him, uh, you know, Thomas Dolby starting up beatnik and that what he was attempting to do was create a streaming protocol that at the time was, uh, you know, rivaling Shockwave and and real audio and and all of these that have emerged since as a as a uh, as the codex that we now use. And that it it just sort of disappeared off the map. Is, Is that true? Was he doing that?
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I mean, this was this it was I have to say it was really bloody difficult because the brief was I've got a feeling that the file size had to be 16k oh my so God. We were composing all of these tracks, you know, using oh, the Beatnik player and then trying to sort of get it down to 16k in size. I mean, it was a massive challenge. In was fa- it like uh, mod mod files, that kind of thing? Uh, well, yeah, they were beatnik. I can't even remember the bloody suffix of it now. It's, it's one of those things. That I worked so hard and so long on it. In fact, I used to sit at the computer until my legs went completely numb just trying to meet this deadline. I think we had to do something like 400 tracks. It was, it was a completely mad um, experience.
1: Wow.
0: Were you creating polyphonic ringtones? Because looking at this website, nearly everything he's doing now seems to be based around... Uh, mobile phones and polyphonic ringtones. And it says here that the, um, the Beatnik uh, audio engine has been in loads of mo- uh, Nokia phones since 1999 and Panasonic, Motorola, Texas Instruments, Samsung, Sony Ericsson mobile phones, Siemens mobile phones. So I would guess that the audio engine that all these phones are using now is the Beatnik one.
3: Right, sounds ka I would say yeah <laughs> yeah maybe it was easily transferable. maybe he decided to let real and w m b and all these things come to the fore, and then he decided to move into the mobile phone wow market. what a
1: what, that just it, shows
3: uh, amazing foresight, doesn 't it what a great yeah. um, what a great
1: great idea what, it,
0: what it, i can 't understand is what it actually does because it doesn 't look like it 's anything other than midi and a, a few sounds so i kind i kind of think he maybe he's done a a good job of selling the king's new clothes to these guys
1: uh you may well be right he's a, probably a good figurehead for any company though isn't he i mean he's kind of always been associated with technology anyway thomas dolby wind power 26 years ago it, can you believe it okay well i, I guess the, the there is a sort of link between that and our, and our next series of topics and this was kind of sent in by john bowen of um, Solaris synthesizer fame who sent me a few a few bits and pieces but one of them was um tied in with something else that was left via second thought on the comments from um show uh t- sonic talk number 91 when we talked about the iphone obviously the iphone's been released the new one and everybody's going a bit crazy for it but there's this app that be- because they've now um, launched the itunes app store uh, one of the first applications that seems to be sort of getting a huge amount of um, hype is something called beatmaker i don't know if anyone saw that it's um by somebody called Intua. Um, and they've made this application, which is essentially, it's kind of like a little sample playback, MIDI sequencing, song making with a little bit of effects in it. And it runs, not only does it run on the iPhone, but it runs on an iPod touch as well, which I think sounds really quite fascinating. Um, and it's, it's, it's rocking actually. Has anyone, uh, did anyone see any of the videos or anything? I've seen anything about Beatmaker?
0: Look good. So it looked good. Yeah, I think I need that.
1: It's, it, if you go on YouTube, there are hundreds and hundreds of videos of people using it to all, you know, various effects. And it actually seems to kind of work because you can, can transfer your own samples and own sample sets in there. Um, 16 pads, has got, it, it, and it's $12 or t- no, it's £11.99. You buy it from the app store. And, uh, second thought, um, he, queued up all night to get his first UK iPhone, kind of, you know, get it early. And he said that um, it's absolutely rocking. It's a brilliant application. It just made me think, you know, maybe we're kind of, this is actually opening up a new sort of era of handheld devices that are actually capable of running things Properly, you know, almost in the same way as computers sort of finally came of age when they were actually really able to do audio and MIDI together so that we could use them as a, a production hub. These sort of new handheld devices, particularly the iPhone, which has got a big market penetration amongst creative people, is really starting to kind of, we're starting to really see just the beginnings of this sort of shift. Um, I just wondered what anybody else thought. I mean, I'd like to get one. I'm, I'm going to try and get an iPod Touch because I don't want an iPhone because I can't afford it, and it, you know I can't afford to change my contract. But if I run it on iPod Touch, I'd love to check that out. Any what does anyone think about that? I mean, Dave, you're in software, so I mean, does do you kind of do you feel tempted to do a G Media iPhone
2: thingy? Yeah, we had this great idea. We were going to do this piece of software that turned it into just a phone,
1: <laughs> just disabled everything else. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, because most people I speak to go, Jesus Christ, my phone does everything, except I can't make a call really simply and easily, particularly, (laughs) you know, anyone over 45. So we thought, yeah, that would be a fun thing to do. Uh, No, it's interesting. And I think that Apple have been really, really clever with this whole because they've aligned themselves with a load of venture capital firms, haven't they? So they're really trying to create a whole big um, wave behind this and uh, seem to be
1: doing so. With the iPod, there's this whole micro-industry of accessories and what have you, and with this, with software, it just looks like it's kind of, you know, opened the doors again, and it's all starting to tumble out.
2: Yeah, um, does anyone remember what the funding was? Do you remember that, when Apple announced this whole, you know, SDK? I mean, the the, the, the amount of funding available was absolutely humongous.
1: Oh, what, for developing iPhone apps? Yeah. No, I didn't know that. I didn't realise there was a programme, but that makes sense.
2: Yeah I mean obviously there was strict criteria yes. um I, I don't know whether everything qualified I doubt it but um you know, whoever creates the killer app for iPhone is probably going to hoover up large sums of cash, aren't they?
1: Well, Bee Maker must be doing okay, because everybody, you know, I mean, a lot of people are buying it. I mean, you know, let's face it, the iPhone is attractive kind of musicians because a lot of them run them their lives either on tour or whatever via their Apple software, Apple computers or whatever. I'm not saying everybody does, but it's a large percentage, and it looks like a lot of these must be selling. And it because it's going through the iTunes store... It's sort of, I don't know if it's copy protected, but, you know, the, the, the kind of procedure makes it less likely to be cracked. And why would you bother going to all the effort of cracking a 12 pound piece of software? I don't
3: know. Mm.
0: Mm. I think if this you can is... afford an iPhone in the first place. Well, quite, yeah.
3: yeah. Exactly. I think this is also attractive to people that um, have come to music software via apps like GarageBand. Um, I know some visual creatives that knew nothing about audio production, and then they they get GarageBand on their new Macintosh, <clears throat> and they love it. You know, they're sitting there putting together Apple Loops, and they, you know, they're making records that sound credible. And so it's, uh, I think this appeals to them as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I must admit, I was searching quite a long time to find something that I'd want to play to say, "Wow, this was done on an iPhone." and uh, didn't find anything that remarkable which is i think one of the problems is with the software at the moment is that you can only record a bar at a time um which is a bit limiting i think it's sort of that that might be a bit of a problem but I'm sure you know it's software you can get over it but because of all that storage, you can just there were some really long and quite involved samples in there, and you could just drag them all in there. So obviously the processing is fine, and it's timing-wise sounded pretty good as well. It wasn't kind of stumbling, which uh, I've seen with other uh, iPhone-based applications. Um, oh, wi-
0: that's a good link to the other one. Well, to
1: the Tenorion? <laughs> the Tenorion, yes. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Because um, this is the one thing that uh, John Bowen sent, like I said. Um, th- this is one of the stories that he sent. And he said there's a, t- a Tenorion... Which is uh, the obviously the Yamaha kind of grid inf- instrument, which um, kind of made such a massive splash. Somebody's made an application. Uh, they're called pa- well, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's Packle Sound, I think they're called P-A-C-K-L Sound. Uh, it's called Packle Software, and this is sort of tenorion type thing, and it, it really does sound. Well, I'll play you a little bit of that because I can, and it really does sound like a tenorion. Yes, but I noticed it was it was really out of time. I mean, I don't know whether this was maybe a problem with video encoding. So I wouldn't want to kind of bad mouth it, but it it was quite out a lot of times, and it did really sound like it was just not very solid. But you know,
0: it seemed it seemed to be consistently out where the guy had placed the snares where you would expect it to go da 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 da. It was kind of going da 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 and then a big jump, and then back again and it did it the same every time so i don't think it was the video encoding
1: it's still in development so it's not available via the uh, um the app store yet but they they think it's going to be happening in uh o- october i think they say and i guess it's going to be you know another 10 20 bucks or whatever it is but you know it just sh- uh, there's another application that is being developed in the sort of musical sort of sense and gives the uh, tenorion thing i mean i'm not sure how you would well anyway it's a cheap way of maybe thinking i'd like to try a tenorion But yeah, they need to sort out the timing on that. I think that might run on an uh, iPod Touch as well. I'm hoping so, because I'm definitely thinking about getting one of those, like I say. But the really big one that that John Bowen sent in was um, the rumours that there's going to be a sort of a MacBook Touch, I suppose, if that would... uh, This was on Gizmodo. It's um, basically, that they say, it goes like this. Think MacBook screen, possibly a bit smaller, uh, in glass like an iPhone, but with fuller-featured multi-touch. Gesture library, full Mac OS, you know, that sort of thing. Um, slot loading, super drive, accelerometer, GPS. um Obviously, be expensive to produce initially, but sold at a low price that would reduce margins. This is all speculation, obviously, of course. But I was looking at it, I was thinking, oh, you know, do you think, do you think you would, would you? Mm. They seem to think that this is going to be announced by October at the latest. Apparently, Apple have been buying up things that you know would suggest that components of this this mythical device are being drawn together for production. I like it. Is that with a small <laughs> <laughs> i?
0: Sorry about that. that was a
1: terrible gag, but it seems like. I mean,
0: what, you don't necessarily need to have the keyboard on the computer, do you? Because it could have Bluetooth in it and quite happily collect to a computer uh, computer keyboard when you needed it, or I a mouse. I so, suppose you, or you just
1: pop up a keyboard and use it that way. Although I find that a bit strange. I like to have a bit of positive kind of key action. Hmm. But that. I don't know what it is at the moment. They seem to be kind of generating all sorts of rumour and speculation and press. It seems to be sort of beginning to build again. I mean, it, it seems to go in cycles. I'm not sure what that cycle is, but there's there's this particular rumour. There was another rumour that, um, you know, they were perhaps thinking about um, licensing OS to to run on alternative hardware and all this kind of stuff. It all seems to be kind of going up in the air again but uh, macbook touch that does look very desirable i wonder if it would just be kind of like even more expensive than the macbook air and you know with not much in the way of processor and also the only thing i thought about it if if it was that big and had a glass screen you'd break it pretty damn easy wouldn't you it's a big piece of glass yeah okay multi-touch laptop with kind of with a screen of that size i mean you you know it's i mean we i got quite excited by the lima and the uh um what was the other one that they made the Dexter, the Dexter, that didn't just didn't quite get there. But something like this with multi-touch would be pretty. Could be, you know, it, in a Mac style. That could absolutely be the the interface we've been looking for for a kind of musical from from a musical point of view. I mean, if they integrated something like this hardware in into Logic Eight and the control of that and designed to it, if you see what I mean, that could be quite an exciting place to go. Because I mean, they've got to do something to make Logic Eight any good, as far as I'm concerned
3: now wouldn't the thing what is that? ouch wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't the thing to do would be to wait for the second or third generation of this technology after everybody's ported their applications over oh, to it oh well, yeah of course
1: of course yeah. yeah i mean this is all total conjecture but i mean it just looks like kind of t- quite a tasty thing i like the i like the idea of it if it's real i mean there were some great artists impressions and mockups and stuff of it it was a sort of cross between an iPod touch and the sort of mesh of a of a uh, a Mac pro sort of tower looked very nice to me crossed with an etch sketch <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. Fantastic.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So yeah, that may or may not be coming in October. I don't know. I think, uh, I think that could be, could be good with anyway, That was from John Bowen who uh, is a regular listener. So hello, John. Uh, and by the way, I think the Solaris is nearing, um, completion and shipping. I think we're talking autumn now. I think uh, if I w- was reading the blogs,
3: right because
1: i know i know pj you were gonna hold get hold of one and have a have a have a go with it wouldn't you that's right
3: uh, I definitely want to yeah for sure and John uh, congratulations I hope it all comes together Sonic Talk sponsored by Yamaha Music Productions Producers of the world's most popular digital mixing consoles accurate professional studio monitoring systems incredibly realistic and portable digital stage pianos the versatile motif range of music production synthesizers and the latest NC Series Digital Mixing Studios featuring the cleanest signal path and full Cubase AI4 integration. www.yamahasin.com Sonic I Talk. Thought this was
1: really good. This was again, um, this is something that just popped on up on, uh, sonicstate.tv, which is our kind of, uh, our sister site, which is kind of a video sharing site for electronic musicians. It's probably the simplest t- way I can do it. And this was basically a guy called Atalk who has, um, created this amazing modular synth patch, which is just sort of percussion only. I'll just play it. Rhythm sequence was uh, an eight-step, an eight-step sequence on the MAQ sixteen-three. Row three controls the dynamics of row one, which would th- switch off each step. The synthesizer's dot-com uh, modular on the top produces the high RM sound, whereas the the uh, um ooh, the MFM—I'm not sure what that one is—the modular. Firm. Anyway, two modular synths and a, a, an eight-step sequencer produced that, and there was no digital stuff in there. I just thought it's—I mean, it was kind of quite carnival and Brazilian sort of sounding, but I thought not a bad bit of. Um, bit of work wouldn't you say That's
0: nice yeah
1: beautiful uh, so now what i was going to take that on is do you have you should you what would you use any tricks hard and soft let's have them and, and by that i mean you know making your own drum sounds from synthesizers rather than you know just triggering samples i mean mark i suspect you might have done a bit of this and what are your is it something you you have done or do regularly or? Uh,
0: yes it is and uh, yeah, I mean, it's something I did before I could afford a drum machine. I used to use a MC-202 and an SH-101. And you have to have white noise if you're going to do snares, really. Yeah. Resonant filters and envelopes and and playing around with the envelopes and stuff. And you, you start off sounding like that kind of craftwork-y uh, percussive noise, and then you sort of work your way down the pitch from there till it sounds like a bass drum. Oh. I was really into SPK, and they did a record called Schrei. And that is all synth generated drums and some really big smashes and bangs. And I was sort of doing drums like that, I suppose.
1: And there's also um, the Human League reproduction, which is sort of their first classic. Was that the first Russian album, Martin Russian album? I don't know, actually. But anyway, um, that's all of oh, a lot of the drums on there are all made on, um, I guess, you know, Roland systems and whatever they were using. A lot of the drums on there are, in fact, analog. I know. What about you, Dave? I mean, you're a drummer, so I um, I don't know whether or not you you kind of would go go down that route. But I mean, obviously nowadays, when well, there's more software and more whatever around, I mean, would you use a synth to make a drum sound?
2: Yeah, yeah, done it lots. Really? Uh, but in the old, well, you know, in the slightly older days, you would build various drum sounds and then you sample them and then trigger them for, from a sampler. Because obviously you didn't want to tie up a 25 grand modular just for a snare sound that you could get off of a little monosynth or something like that. But no, you can have a lot of fun, particularly, and I love the modular sequences because they are really tactile. And, you know, you can change pitches on the flight, You can do all sorts of things on the fly and just get some expression. I like, I like what that guy was doing. It sounded very banger like didn't it?
1: There was just something. He'd obviously created... It sounded like it was FM, almost. I mean, it sounded, maybe that's what he was using to kind of... As a, as a synthesis technique to create some of those drum the, sounds.
2: You said about the MFM?
1: Yeah. Uh, and I think
2: this is probably the... This is uh, Heckman's um, More Feedback Machine, which is a software... Um, delay, kind of super duper delay.
1: Ah, that's because there was that there was there was a really t- I was wasn't sure whether it was reverb on there or whether it was a really tight delays. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what gives you that kind of FME type and really tight delay sound. Ah,
0: okay. when I first got into the um, 909, I used to use an SH101 uh, to make the drum reverb. So I instead of because I wanted a big kind of splash of reverb after my snare and stuff so i used to program a sound that sounded like a gated reverb and put it underneath the snare so when it went it had this after it
1: Mm. oh okay
0: um so so i got the 909 snare and then sh101 fake reverb
1: (laughs) excellent i'm really big fan of those kind of um noise claps you know making your own hand claps in fact when i was thinking about it i actually do this a lot I, i remember when uh I was creating a whole load of new drum sounds and I just p- pulled up a load of reactor patches and just went through and made as many snares and, you know, just as many variations and sounds on drums as I could and just sampled a lot of them and then used those as a lot of sounds to cut and percussion to run at the same time. So, yeah, I did, I've done it sort of in software modular and synthesis, but I've not, uh, not done it in hardware. Not yet.
2: It's good. The MS-20 was very, very good for uh, percussive sounds.
1: Right. Well, I've still got that. Maybe I should dig it out. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of getting rid of a few synths, and I've said um, I'm getting a modular, a little tiny modular, and just kind of starting to kind of have something set up to just wiggle away on. I'm, I'm kind of having an urge for some yeah. hardware.
3: Go on, it
2: makes sense, you know.
1: P- it does. PJ, what about you? Are you a kind of? Um, I know you use a lot of kind of drum sample libraries, but are you averse to making your own sounds out of
3: synthesizers? No, not at all. I have gigabytes filled with them. I um when I first started out I had a, a Juno 106 and an Sonic SQ1 before I bought my first drum machine which was a a Roland TR505. And I made all kinds of drum sounds um you know the same way Mark was explicating earlier and uh these days I'll do that a lot in software and I like you I'll sample them and make banks and folders filled with percussion sounds of various ilk and then pull them out as i need them and i and i was thinking that um reason four's thor synthesizer can come surprisingly close to sounding like uh that video clip you played
1: ah yeah because there's some great stuff in there actually lots of different synthesizers. Yeah. we did a really good video with i forget the name, the name of the guy but he wrote a couple of books on reason and okay. um i think we shot it at nam this year and he was just kind of going in deep on thor and he said he really loved it
3: thor is a be- yeah it's a beautiful synthesizer and it has fm in it as well so it's you can get surprisingly close to that sound okay cool well that was um yeah so that was at uh you can go and see that on
1: sonicstate.tv um where you can see a lot of all of other stuff um but that was a particularly kind of creative modular setup definitely I remember that bucket, bucket. Boom. great great drum sounds on that i heard I, this this is uh, an aside but this <laughs> this is a bit of an aside here but um i i heard um that is it steve albini that was supposed to have mixed that mixed nirvana
3: he didn't he have some involvement in one of their their very first records and they produced it in southern minnesota i believe but Cameron i Falls. i heard that uh, Nevermind, which is the
1: subject of our next topic um because the chap spencer eldon um who uh who was the baby on the front cover of the Nirvana? Was the baby in the pool, sort of chasing the uh, the, the the dollar bill or the ten dollar bill or whichever it is? I heard that the Nirvana that Nirvana album, when it was delivered, was was just not all it could be, and it was actually the whole album was remixed and turned into what it was, and it was a fantastic remix job that made it sort of come together and turn into. But I don't know if that's true or not.
0: Wow!
1: But anyway. This story, uh, this was on uh, National Public Radio site, and it's a little, um, it's a podcast actually, which I should have actually recorded, but I, uh, I didn't get round to it. But it's a great article. It's basically um, where what happened to the Nirvana baby, and the Nirvana baby was a chap called Spence Eldon, who is now seventeen. And, um, NPR radio sort of tracked him down and just did a little piece with him. And, uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes was he was a baby on the cover and it's quite a few people in the world have seen my penis. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> Which I thought was <laughs> what a great quote from a 17 year old kid. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it sort of passed him by, obviously, because I mean, he was kind of a- an icon for an entire age of grunge and emo and all that kind of thing. And yet, you know, he had absolutely no consciousness of it because he was just a tiny little baby um there's a great story it's what it, how it came about that he was on the front cover it's kirk Weddle, who's the photographer working who's a photographer working on the cover uh was a f- was just a friend of uh, spencer's dad and he just called him up and said hey rick want to make 200 bucks to throw your kid in the drink and rick says yeah what's up man and they took him to the swimming pool chucked him in and took a photo of him and that was it and he happened to be the baby that had the right look whatever but um, Nevermind was obviously a fairly big event. And again, this is another thing. This, I, I, this happened 17 years ago. I mean, it seems incredible now that it could be quite so long. And it just thought this could be interesting. Um, what were you up to 17 years ago?
0: Oh, oh God. I, uh, one memory that springs to mind is um, I went to this party in King's Cross, which and the buildings don't exist anymore. It's a whole load of people lived in these houses and it used to have a hundred people live here or something like that painted on the side of the buildings and Pam Hogg lived in there and I went to this party and uh, picked up this girl who I can't remember the name of um, and got in my Jaguar and drove very very fast to Epping Forest and then did wild things and then drank whiskey and all that sort of stuff and then drove back from Epping Forest to where I lived and I remember going about 90 miles an hour between two rows of stationary traffic at about 7 o'clock in the morning and they <laughs> were all queuing in, uh, you know, in, in rush hour and I was just like, oh, stuff that, I'm going down the <laughs> middle. Put my foot flat to the floor and was just accelerating, accelerating, accelerating. And when I think about that now and I think about, like, look back on it, it just makes me cringe because if somebody had opened a door or someone had stepped out, or it, it just would have been carnage.
1: Oh, my God. But anyway. Was that I a big survived. old bumpy front, Jack?
0: I was being all wild rock and roll. Rock no, and roll. An you- no, XJ6. Ooh. <laughs> It was a Daimler, actually, thinking about it. It wasn't a Jag. It was a Daimler XJ6 with red leather upholstery.
1: Oh, class. That's very with nail and eye, Mark. Sorry? That's very (laughs) with nail and eye, isn't it? yes brilliant well that's a great rock and roll story what about you dave what
2: were you doing actually it's a brilliant piece of synchronicity this because me and the missus have just celebrated our 17th anniversary which was our unofficial kind of getting together and running away anniversary and i'd literally just finished a tour and uh i was in communication with uh, my now wife throughout the tour kind of going are we or aren't we are we or aren't we and then uh, at the end of it i said look um, a mate of mine who's now my brother-in-law was on tour in uh, italy and i said i'm going to go back to amsterdam for a week and then i'm going to go and see him in italy um do you want to come or not and she said yeah all right let's do it so we basically legged it off to amsterdam for a couple of weeks we never got as far as italy um so i can't tell you for um, purposes of decency what exactly what i was doing 17 years ago but uh i think you can guess <laughs> getting to know your
1: future wife yeah in oh. Amsterdam. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's so. That's that's two fantastic rock and roll stories. Far um, out
3: times. PJ, how about you? I get. I suspect you might have been in school. I was in school. I was probably out in the woods as well, uh, dancing around a keg somewhere, and that and smells like team spirit was pouring out of somebody's cassette deck in their jeep parked nearby. That sounds a bit like the video.
1: Isn't that what happens in the video? Much,
3: much like the video. Well, the video actually takes place in a club, I think. But yeah, very similar.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, that's cool. That right. sounds,
3: yeah. Or that sounds a bit like the um, the beginning
1: of I Know What You Did Last Summer kind of horror movie, doesn't it?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Nobody with hooks or masks, but uh, definitely the uh, teen debauchery.
1: Yeah. I'm just trying to think what I was I think I was touring as well, just doing a promo tour um, for my dreadful pop career schlepping around europe answering dumb questions and trying to um not not being very comfortable with it i seem to remember but um i remember just seeing that constantly on mtv that was all that was on
2: i remember it i remember it really clearly i've I've got to tell you this one story right so i was on this tour in 1991 this debbie harry tour and we're playing this gig in switzerland and uh, the, the uh tour manager um was so slack on the money front he would hire in gear from wherever you see and it was a jd800 and various bits and pieces and none of this stuff turned up at this gig in switzerland massive festival it was and uh, so i'm running around literally like a blue ass fly before the, like four hours before the gig trying to borrow keyboards off the of people and i go skip and I, so i see this uh called bx3 or whatever it was bx1 and uh, I say to somebody on the stage, "Who's is this? Who's is this?" And they go, "Oh, it's uh, Dave Stewart, and he was doing the spiritual cowboy stuff then." So it's like a D fifty. Who's is that? Oh, it's Billy Idol's. Okay, so I go, S- "Where are they?" So oh, they're um backstage. So I go running round backstage, skid on this um surface. See Dave Stewart, skid into him, and kind of go, "Dave, Dave, Dave." Sorry, you don't know me, but um, uh, there's you've got this cool BX thing. Uh, is there any chance I can borrow it? And I look round and he's being filmed by MTV. (laughs) He just looks at me and kind of goes, yeah, all right, help yourself. So I get to Amsterdam with um, Mrs. To-Be. I put MTV on. The first thing I hear is DNA and Suzanne Vega, and then they cut to this footage of the festival where I see myself skid into this interview.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cool. Have you got that footage anywhere? Did you manage to keep it for your archives? I I, I wish I had.
2: Oh, it's one that... of those moments where you kind of look at it and you go wow <laughs> i've really been living in a bubble <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh well, fantastic great great tales all around i think on that on that rather nostalgic note we'll probably call it a, a, a day because uh, it's 10 past five here and i've got to get to the car before my i get a ticket but thank you very much for joining us um we've got um mr dave spears from g4 software thank you for sharing those stories thank you g4software.com folks don't forget um mr pj tracy from minneapolis um who at present i don't think has got a url but he has got a new studio that's true thank you very much for joining us pj thank you for having me and of course mr mark tinley um thank you and i hope you're enjoying your new old motorcycle
0: i am very much actually it's so loud it's ridiculous
1: is it a single a single cylinder one yeah single oh cylinder i love those fantastic well uh, go drive safely and uh, we'll speak again soon i hope you can all join me next week um, that was sonic talk number 93 sonic states what's called